This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the final one of the week, 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls today, texts and WhatsApps at 0862-103-103. And I heard Barry again refer on the news to the sad passing that we spoke about yesterday on the programme, uh, the death of Bill O'Connell. We discovered that when we were on air uh, yesterday and a number of the papers, in particular the Examiner and the Echo doing lovely tributes and gorgeous photographs of the late uh, Billa. And I think the headline actually made me smile. The headline in the Examiner, uh, it's over a piece written by own English and uh, Stephen Heaney. And it says, for Cork folk, Billa was as beloved as Bono, Bjork and Beyonce. And as the article says, Bono, Bjork and Beyonce, I mean, they're worldwide known, great entertainers. And they're known by just one name, Bono. Bjork or Beyonce and for us Corkonians it was the same with Billa I mean everybody knew his surname but as soon as you would say the name Billa everybody knew exactly who you were uh, talking about and the article also talks about something that and this irony isn't lost I think on any of Billa's family or friends the fact that yesterday on the day that our beloved Billa passed away peacefully yesterday morning was the same day that coincided with the curtain rising for the first First time last night at the Every Everyman Theatre, a theatre he would have known and loved really well, and they had been closed for five hundred and forty-seven days. And finally, they got to open their doors yesterday on the same day that Billa passed away. And of course, Billa has survived by his much-loved wife Nell, six children, they had 19, 19 grandchildren and ten great-grandchildren. And one of his grandchildren, James O'Sullivan, said uh, yesterday that Cork will be a strange place without Billa. He said he hung out with Tishik and Stars, spent a life on stage from the tiniest halls in West Cork to performing on a national stage like the uh, Late Late. And then the paper obviously is full of wonderful tributes to one of our greatest Cork uh, legends. And also I read in the Echo details of Billa's Funeral Mass tomorrow, which is going to be at 10am tomorrow morning. 
It'll be held in the Church of the Immaculate Conception in the lock with funeral afterwards then to St Finbar's uh, Cemetery. Obviously because of COVID restrictions the church will be limited to 50% capacity but the Mass is going to be live streamed so wherever you are tomorrow at 11 o'clock you can tune in and watch Billa's Requiem Mass. It's on churchservices.tv forward slash uh, the lock if you're unable to attend or you'd like to tune into that uh, tomorrow and then rip.ie yesterday when details of the funeral arrangements went up online lots you know hundreds upon hundreds of people were leaving messages of condolences and one really caught my attention it was one that was signed by a Cork granny who said wonderful childhood memories of going to see Billa in the opera house thanks for all the laughs you gave us in those innocent times rest in peace uh, Billa and I think that just sums it up. He did the, he did give us great laughs in what were uh, very, very innocent times. And we're thinking of Nell and all of the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. A couple of difficult days uh, for them uh, ahead and our thoughts and prayers are with all of the O'Connell family. Also in the papers today, there's uh, photographs of the wreckage of the light aircraft that came down yesterday. And when you're looking at the aircraft, they really were so lucky that nobody was killed in this air crash. There was four people on board this light aircraft and they had what can only be described as a miraculous uh, escape. The plane, they, the pilot managed to land the the, the plane on a beach in Wexford. See what happened. It suffered some mechanical difficulties and obviously no tributes have been paid to the skill of the pilot who managed to land this twin engine plane and he landed it on Carn Strand in County Wexford. It was about five o'clock yesterday afternoon. Now the pilot is believed to have suffered two broken legs. The co-pilot who was, uh, who was with him, she also uh, suffered a leg break uh, in the crash. Then there was a man and a woman in the rear of the plane and they're understood to have suffered uh, relatively minor injuries and of course rescue officials are saying that if the pilot hadn't successfully landed the plane on the beach which was just a couple of metres away from the waterline in the photographs and all of the papers today you can see how close he was to the waterline if the plane instead had gone into the sea then the outcome could have been very different and we could have been talking about a very different uh, story uh, today. And it seems, I don't know how soon after takeoff, but it was out over the Irish, flying over the Irish Sea when they encountered mechanical difficulties and then the pilot of the Sensetec would get into a beach, sand would be softer, etc. and manage to land it. So we wish both the pilot and the co-pilot a speedy uh, recovery. And as I say, pictures are in all of the papers uh, today. The possibility of a extra bank holiday next year and we all love bank holiday weekends don't we so the thought of getting an extra bank holiday fills me with joy this morning there's also talks of an increase in the minimum wage of about 30% and it's seemingly it's all being considered as part of the budget measures but these two particular items under consideration for next month's budget are going to be announced as part of a reward for frontline workers for all the efforts during the pandemic now the move would mean if we got an extra bank holiday that would mean then that we have 10 here in Ireland 10 bank holidays in total a 30% increase in the minimum wage would bring the minimum wage to 10 euro and 50 cent an hour now the government 
is examining a range of measures to reward workers from right across society who worked on the front line, particularly those who worked on the front line during all of the lockdowns. And of course, there has been mounting tensions over the promise of a pandemic bonus for thousands of workers. And of course, as we discovered and mentioned uh, yesterday, that could cost the Exchequer one billion euro. So it's hoped that a one-off bonus could be offered, either give a cash lump sum or give additional leave. That's what's on the table and been spoken about for the frontline workers. But ministers now fear that if they give it to one section of workers, it's going to pit workers' groups against other workers' groups. Everybody will be clamouring to receive financial or other recognition. Everybody will say, we did, we went above and beyond. Uh, Everyone will want extra holidays for special work and special sacrifices. So you can already see the arguments uh, starting. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he, he really got in on this because he suggested that the payment should be made to more than just healthcare workers. Because really, when you think about this bonus payment, it was initially being suggested for health workers, for people who worked on the front line in hospitals, to me, was what was first been spoken about. And somewhere out of that, it has it, it has taken legs and it has now become a bonus for everybody working in uh, healthcare. And, you know, rightly so as well, because as somebody pointed out when we were first of all talking about nurses on the front line, you know, we had some hospital staff contact us, people who work as porters, people who work as domestic, people who work handing out the food to patients, saying we're as important. We were working on the front line uh, as well. But Leo Varadkar got in, involved on the, in this and he said, what about the revenue staff and the other, other civil staff? civil servants. He said they're deserving of recognition. Many of them worked above and beyond, particularly in revenue when they were getting the pop payments out to to, uh, people. And then it was the public... Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath, when we were on air yesterday, I mentioned this. He sort of came in with a bit of a warning yesterday before everybody takes off saying, eh, you know, come one, come all for these bonus payments. He said that initially the estimate of 377 million, that was the cost that they were saying the frontline staff, as what it would cost the frontline staff to get the bonus. He then said yesterday the exact figure would be, uh, could go as high as a billion euro and that is a lot of money and the billion euro is the exact amount of money that the finance minister Pascal Donoghue spoke about yesterday that he's earmarked for special projects in the budget which are going to be announced on the 12th of October so if there is one billion there the talk yesterday was does it all go to the frontline staff and by doing that it means the special projects that Pascal Donoghue has it earmarked obviously would have to be put on the back burner so there was further confusion reigning last night as it really became unclear who would get the bonus what they would be entitled to how much they would be paid and would it all be delivered in next month's budget and I heard at some stage yesterday that they were saying maybe spread it out over two years so if they're going to give 10 days extra leave maybe give five days next year five days the year after but that then will have implications for the budget for the next two years Labour leader Alan Kelly he's accusing the government of going back on what he says has been a long-standing promise of 
special awards for workers. But Leo Varadkar insisted the government remained committed to this COVID bonus, saying we will uh, engage with the unions and the workers' representatives around recognition bonus. That's what it's been called for staff who did go the extra mile and went out of their way during the pandemic. Leo Varadkar says we want to do that. He said they deserve to get this bonus. And he also said that he thinks the public want the government uh, to do it. But he's a pains to point out he's not sure exactly on how it's going to be done. And he says it's the calculating of the bonus in a fair way that's going to be uh, complicated and also who exactly will get the bonus. And he pointed out that there were there were people who put in enormous extra hours. Now, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking here within the health uh, sector, but he said there was also people who didn't. He said they mightn't have been through n- no fault of their own. It could have been that the service that they were working with was reduced, so they didn't get to put in extra any extra hours. Some were redeployed, but not everybody was redeployed. So if you decide to give a bonus right across the board, are you giving a bonus to people who actually did less during the pandemic? Now, less through no fault of their own. So you can see how complicated this is going to get. And then the Taoiseach, of course, who's doing us all proud in New York at at the moment at the UN, he said the government wants to reflect the contribution many people made. But he cited Retail workers, people who worked in in shops, they were also on the front line. So it was good to hear the Taoiseach mention the retail staff yesterday in New York. He said it will be challenging, but he said it is something that they're working towards. So the work goes on and I think there will be a lot of rows and a lot of disputes particularly between the unions. I mean, it is the nurses and midwives, the INMO. They've already gone to the Labour court saying we were promised this. They've already lodged what they want, which is the 10 days uh, annual leave. And that's just one group. You add all of the other unions and some of those unions are very good at shouting and getting their message across. So it'll be... It'll be interesting times ahead before that actual bonus is paid out. But kind of as a general thank you to everyone, what they're looking at in the budget next month is this extra bank holiday. Everyone in society will benefit from that. And also for the lower paid workers, it's kind of a nod to them, a thank you to them uh, and increasing the minimum wage. Now, how employers in the private sector are going to feel about an increase in the minimum wage because they don't get consulted on that and it will have a knock on ex- a knock on expense to them. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 862 0862- 103-103. Thank you to some of my gorgeous, wonderful listeners. Uh, some gorgeous cards arrived in today on my Hall of Fame win. And just to acknowledge, very kind uh, re- uh, the, of people to take time out. Uh, Mary in Brewery, thank you, who sent on a little gift as well. I really appreciate that. Thank you for that. And thank you to Phyllis in Dunmanway, who sent on a most beautiful, it's a handmade card that has got the... It's like a rose and butterflies raised on it. And the reason that that caught my eye and I absolutely adore it is because because Marsha is visually impaired. Anytime I'm getting cards for her, I'm always looking for something that's raised so that she can actually feel it. So I can't wait to bring that home, Phyllis. And uh, Marsha will have great fun. Just just I, I, even, even as I close my eyes, I'm putting my hands over it. It feels wonderful. And when I looked on the back, I was saying, where did Phyllis get that card? And it's a handmade card by somebody called Nikki Kitley 
I don't know if Nikki Kitley is local or not, but if she is, she is very, very talented. And our, and the lovely Mary Colletty in Newmarket always, and, and again, I don't know where Mary gets these cards made. They're gorgeous cards that are embroidered. So, the you know, the message on it is congratulations, Patricia, on your induction into the Radio Hall of Fame, September 2021. They really are beautiful. And, and, and as I said, I must get on to Mary to find out where she's getting those cards done because they're gorgeous. But thank you. I just want to acknowledge they arrived safe in the post uh, today. On Billa, Michael in Castletown there says, Patricia, you can forget your Bono, Bjork and Beyonce. There's only one Billa. He entertained young and old, far and wide, even down here in Castletown Bear. He brought the whole house down with laughter and song. He never forgot to give his beautiful rendition of his beloved city. Billa will never be forgotten. May his gentle soul rest in peace. Thanking you. And that's from Michael in Castletown Bear. Thank you for that, Michael. And actually, I was I was reading uh, in the papers today. He he actually made his pantomime debut in 1947 somewhere in West Cork. I don't know where it was in West Cork, but that's where his pantomime debut was made. Uh, was in at West Cork, and then of course he went on for many many years uh, into the Opera House and to the uh, Everyman. And Jim says, Patricia, I heard my dad tell a joke that Billa told about looking out the window the night the Opera House on, went on fire and his much-loved wife, Nell, said, is that the Aurora Bora Alice that you're looking at, Bill, when she was looking at the lights in the sky? And Billa says, Aurora Bora Alice, me ass. It's the Opera House on fire. Billa was a great character and full of wit. wit. And I remember having him here in studio, actually. It was one of the anniversaries of the Opera House going on fire and he telling that story. And, and of course, he was about to perform in the Opera House. They were about to go into uh, pantomime there. So people have loved Lovely, lovely memories of Billa and he will never be forgotten, that is uh, for sure. May he rest in uh, peace. And on this COVID bonus and the fact that it could go to one billion euro. Patricia, a billion euro spent on frontline workers for a bonus should instead be used to employ extra staff throughout all of our hospitals. We urgently need more nurses and doctors. So if they have that kind of money, put it into healthcare but put it into employing extra staff which would take pressure off the staff who worked so hard wouldn't it during the pandemic. Hi Patricia listening about Michal Martin or Taoiseach saying that he he doesn't want us to forget retail workers being compensated as frontline workers yet I felt he turned his back on the Debenhams uh, workers. He makes me laugh. Have a great weekend. Someone else says by text what about factory workers? They worked right throughout the pandemic. Are they not deserving of a bonus? Does the government says another listener does this government ever think that those billions of euro that they're talking about will have to be paid back at some time? Money doesn't grow on trees. They'll be gone off into the sunset and they'll leave the mess in their wake. It'll be our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren who will be paying back these the bills of today for many, many years to come. And hi, Patricia, I worked in a supermarket in a town in North Cork right throughout the p- pandemic. And you know what? Our employer gave the staff not a cent. Not even a thank you. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Earlier this week, Fianna Fáil introduced a bill to make stalking a standalone criminal offence under Irish law with a maximum sentence of 10 years. The bill by Senator Lisa Chambers is now at second stage in the Senate and we can be thankful to two women who have spearheaded a campaign to make stalking offence. One of those is, of course, Una Ring 
calling from Yall, who once again joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Una. Good morning. Thanks again for having oh, me on. Well, listen, always a pleasure. What does this week mean to you and uh, Eve, who's the other lady involved in this? She was stalked while as a student in, in Galway. What, what, what has this week meant to both of you? Oh, it was a very proud week for us. Um, we worked very hard with Lisa Chambers on, on drawing up the bill. Um, a lot of the content is, is our own. Um, I suppose the main thing I wanted in the new bill was the um, protection of pets because pets are often the, 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 the butt of, a, of attacks on people for revenge, you know. They're, they're poisoned, they're killed, they're kidnapped. Um, so, I mean, that was my big, big thing because when I was going through it, I was checking my backyard for, for poisoned meat because I was afraid he was going to poison my dogs. Um, so we worked really, really hard with uh, Lisa Chambers and Captain O'Sullivan from UCC Um She's a legal background, so she worked on it as well. So the four of us worked really, really hard on it. Um, and it was introduced, um, it was in, uh, at the second stage um, on Wednesday, what day is today, Friday, on Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. And I take it yeah. cross-party support on this one, is there? Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Like, we were we were able to watch the, we couldn't go to the Oireachtas the night, the, for the debate that night. Um, we were able to watch it live. It was on from quarter seven until half a state. And all across the board, um, they were very united in it, very amicable towards each other. Um, congratulating Lisa on doing it, like it was, it was just like Fine Gael were congratulating her. Like it was just Great. very, very good to see. There was, it was very, very united, and everybody was for it. Everybody agreed to have a pass to the, the third stage, which will be actually next Tuesday. Um, it happens too. So yeah, and it's always um, great when politicians can see above the party politics and yeah. not making a political yeah. football out of it, yeah. and seeing this is a problem we have. This law needs to be uh, changed. And when you realised what was happening in your life, Una, were you surprised to hear that stalking wasn't a standalone offence? Well, I I just assumed that it was. I just assumed it, you know, because like last year it was twenty twenty. Um, like I would, I would be into these kind of with the crime shows in the states, and you know, you'd watch stalking shows, yeah. and and the UK it was very prevalent with with the I suppose the Alice Ruggles um, case was probably one of the most significant ones. Um, I had the pleasure of of meeting her father um, while we were dealing with them on on how to proceed with this as well. Um, so I I just assumed it was. So when I found out that it wasn't, I was like. I just couldn't believe it, you know. And I was, so, I was and, be, and because it isn't a standalone case, the person who's doing the stalking then, when they're caught, they get they get charged with harassment, isn't it? Is it harassment? Yeah. Like um, James Steele, he, he, his charges were there was the two kinds of criminal damage that was being caught in possession of um, housebreaking influence. There was harassment from February to July and there was attempted burglary with intent to commit rape. So, like, the, the word stalking never came into it. And what you experienced was very, was not harassment. It was very no. different to what you or very I different. would deem harassment. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I view it that it was harassment when he was messaging me, when he was ringing me. Um, but when he's creeping around your house, you know, at two and three, four o'clock in the morning, like that is stalking. That's pure stalking behaviour. Um, and like to have no crime, it's, it's not a crime to do that you know, you can't call it harassment I mean, the, the end goal of somebody who's harassing somebody is just to mess with their mind, mess with their day, freak them out 
Um, but the end goal of, of a stalker is rape or murder and that, yeah. that has been proven. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I know in Eve's case, everywhere she went, her stalker would appear. Yeah, but like her case was very hard to prove because he didn't contact her. He didn't message her. He was just there always. And I mean, Ugh. he broke into her house with a hammer. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the fact that unless, unless, she, unless she caught him and photographed him in the bushes below her house, how do you prove that it's happening? And do you believe, do you and Eve believe that when this law is passed, that more women will come forward to report stalking? Because it it, it obviously is going on, but people are just not reporting it. Exactly, exactly. Because like in in England, Scotland and Wales, um, when they brought it in, there was a trebling of reporting and there was a doubling of prosecutions for that type of crime. Obviously, it was a new crime then, but there was a doubling of that type of crime, but there was a tripling of reports. So, I mean, it show, that shows that it does work mm. because it's very hard to report a crime that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's it. I, that's want, to, I want to report stalking. Stalking isn't a crime. Yeah. You know? The person isn't very, doing anything it, wrong. It, yeah, it's very, and it's very, very hard on the guards to kind of do anything about it when, like, they don't have the adequate training. Like, I was very, very, very lucky in my case. The guards were absolutely phenomenal. Um, but Eve, Eve had to keep ringing them and every time she rang them she had to re-explain and then there was one or two times that she didn't ring them because she felt that she was just being a nuisance you know and that's very very dangerous it's very dangerous whereas your not, local guardie took you seriously from and, the outset and yeah. set up that surveillance thank god they set up that surveillance yeah Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, they got, there was detectives in, in and out of the house. There was the, the, the guards from below the station, below, in and out. And like they would call and say, look, we're on we're on duty tonight now from seven o'clock. If you need assistance, give us a shout. Um, they were so, so good. And like from when the first letter was left, they were doing the drive-by three or four times left. Um, they, they set up the operation and they got, crime prevention up to check out the house and he told me to seal my letterbox in case petrol is poured through which is just so unnerving um, but it was a huge comfort knowing that they were outside from 12 until 5 and, and like got on in and it was ultimately they I'm caught them that they, they were there thank God at the, at the, yeah. at the right time and it's, it's a little over a year now since um, James Steele was, was arrested and, and, sent, and uh, sent to jail how, how are you doing now Una? Yeah, well, I mean, he was only sent to jail in February of this year, you know. So, like, the stalking happened last last summer, but he was only sentenced in February. Like, that's only a couple of months ago, yeah. you know. And it has been, like, it has been non-stop since because, like, he was sentenced on, on, on the Friday. I was up in, in the Clare Byrne show on the Monday, and then there was the late, late show in April, and they were working on the legislation, they were working on the website, they were dealing with other victims. Like, it has been non-stop. Um, but it's very positive, and I think that the, our, our our biggest thing really is the website because it has so much information on it, and I think only somebody who can go through it can put up the right information because we know what we needed, and, and we didn't have it, mm. so that's there now for people, you know. Okay, and then so second stage happened on Wednesday. You're saying it goes to third stage next Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. When, when do you think it'll be law? I don't know, like there's five stages altogether okay. so going to the third stage and but then that that's in the Shannon. The whole process. If it gets through the five stages, then the whole process has to be repeated in the doll. 
Yeah, there tomorrow. You the know. wheels of justice can move uh, slowly unless they want they to. Move very unless they want to bring in. Unless they want to. Yeah. Well, exactly. which look what they did with COVID. They were. Uh, they showed yeah. how quickly legislation. Exactly. It's, it's But listen, we won't. It's not, you're on the right path, and that's and that yeah, is. I mean, and the other thing is, you want to make sure that it's done right. Exactly, and I mean we've done as much as we can do now with all of our hands. You know, we've done all we can do. We've done that. We've done the 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 the, the, the we said the launch the other day. We've we've you know told the the politicians what we need. Um, Lisa Chambers is, is backing us. She has worked tirelessly with us. Um, she's gone above and beyond. To be honest, I know, like I, I wouldn't have had an interest in politics anyway. But I've a newfound respect for them because I didn't realise the level of work that they used to do. It's a the tough job. You know? it's a, it's a, people knock them all the time, but it is yeah. it is a tough job. Um, yeah. Okay, a lot of people wanting to wish you well and say and well done for getting involved uh, in this campaign. And somebody's asking your your thoughts on. Do you fear when he gets released? Oh, I'd be terrified. Yeah, um, I'll be terrified. I'm even thinking about it now. Like, and I mean, I know people are saying, "Look, don't be thinking about it now," because you've, you know, three years, you know, with him being locked up. But it's very hard not to. You know, I'm I'm still kind of looking around my house, going, "What what I what I need to do when he when he gets out?" You know, dead bolts, so that because he had the lock packing device, he would have gotten in. You know, so I need I need to reinforce my door. I I need to reinforce the windows. I, you know, I will need to I suppose bulletproof my house so that no him or nobody else can get in. You know, but like you're very vulnerable. Like one of your, one of your most vulnerable things is, is going from your front door to your car. Like, and even now I still check around to see is there anybody loitering around before I fly. Up. And, and you walk very quickly to your car, even just from your front door. You know, mm. so it's so like, wrong. Be, it's so that shouldn't that sh- it shouldn't be happening to you. Did he apologise? Like he apologised um, at the bail hearing the following day but it was a very light apology because at this stage it was only all in jest it was only a prank and he wasn't going to do anything and it was only in the interviews they brought down specialist interviewers from Limerick three of them um, and and they got everything out of him then but that wasn't until later like so he gave a kind of a half-hearted apology uh, but it was only a bit of fun it was only been a mess then and after that then he didn't apologise further like but they he kind of didn't admit to much at that stage, until the, until they, they brought down specialised interviewers to interview him, and it kind of all came out then, you know. And he never said why. I mean, that's the like. No, why, why you? He, he, you know, he, he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand himself why. Uh, he was drinking a lot. Um, he was drunk when he wrote the letters. Yeah, I said that's all well and good, but he was sober when he drove the car down. It's a two-hour trip. It's a four-hour round trip. Yeah. You know, so you've okay, lots you know, of time to think on the journey, of, yeah. and and stop and turn the bloody car around. Because if you wrote a letter like that when you were drunk, because you were after drinking a bottle of wine, and you woke up the next morning and you saw that letter, you'd be mother of God. You'd scrap it and throw it in the bin. What was I thinking? But he sobered up, put the letter in an envelope, put the condoms in the envelope, and drove two hours to deliver the letter. So you can't blame drink on that, like mm. you know. But no, he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand what happened. Like, there were psychiatric evaluations done on him. He has no mental health issues. Um, he just got it into his head. And, and, I think, and I think it was revenge, really. I don't think it was a case of he was besotted. I think it was very much a case of I made a pass at her. She rejected me. She'll pay. And I firmly, firmly believe that that's what it was. 
And are you getting help to get over it all, Una? I was getting counselling. I finished up counselling there um, back in July because I was actually feeling way better. My counsellor was very, very good. And I don't think she could have brought me any further along than I was at that stage. Um, But I am on on a fair bit of medication um, to keep me to keep my mood balanced and to keep my anxiety levels down because I am still very anxious. Even going out for a walk with the dog, you're, you're, you're constantly looking around, you're constantly aware of your surroundings. You can't, there's also something as going for a relaxed walk just doesn't happen anymore. Like there was, there was a pre-stalking life and a post-stalking life. And before mm. I bring the dog out the beach and you're, you're daydreaming as you're walking along, now I'm just constantly scanning for danger. And you've got very friendly with with Eve. It, would would she say the oh, same thing? Yeah, with, yeah, 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 yeah. She'd yeah. be the same. Like where where she's she's um, you know you you're just nervous all the time, you know. And it's 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 a horrible way to live. But like, and my counselor did make a very good point. I was I was saying to her, look, I'm sick of this anxiety. She goes, don't knock your anxiety. Your anxiety kept your life so far, you know. And it will it, it is keeping you safe. And she said it will lower. It won't go away, but it will lower down. But she said that anxiety is, is, is keeping you alive and is keeping you safe. So she said, like, you know, don't don't knock it, you know. That's a good point. Listen, Una, it's a pleasure as always uh, to speak with you. Stay safe and thanks a million thanks for taking time out to talk to us. Cheers and thanks for having me on again. You're very good. Our, our, my pleasure. Thanks, Una. Bye-bye. Uh, she's she's just a fantastic woman and like what herself and Eve have done, you know, to push forward this in the hope of helping other people in the future to stop stalking and make stalking a standalone offence so if, if somebody's caught and it makes it easier to catch somebody then the fact that it is offence hard to go to the guards to report something that isn't actually a crime at the moment but she's she's incredibly brave as well but your heart would go out go out to her to, you know to hear her talk about how different she is since this happened to her something that she didn't invite into her life and the effect that it's having on her so we wish her the best of uh, love and luck uh, going forward the lovely Una Ring from y'all 1850 333103 Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850 333103 for the first time ever last weekend Ireland imported a huge shipment of horticultural peat to explain the background and what it actually means going forward I'm joined by John uh, Neenan of Grow Growing Media Ireland and they're the group that represent horticultural peat and growing media producers. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, I suppose start by reminding us why horticultural peat harvesting has ceased here in Ireland and hence the reason we now need to start importing it. Yes, it goes back to uh, as far as 2012, Patricia, when uh, new legislation was introduced and uh, inadvertently uh, peat harvesting was included under the planning as well as under an EPA licence. And uh, during that period until 2000 and January 2019, when the government uh, introduced new legislation uh, to exempt re-exempt peat harvesting from planning and bring it under the, the licensing. That was challenged in the High Court and in September 2019 uh, the High Court ruled that that legislation was invalid. So the government realised that there is a problem but they have nothing has been done since September uh, 2019. So that's the reason there was no harvesting in areas over 50 hectares in 2020 and 2021. 
and now all stockpiles are almost exhausted. So that's the reason. Yeah, and uh, that ship, yeah, and that's that's why the shipping came in because we did have yeah. a stockpile, but we we've gone yeah. through that. Where yeah. are we shipping peat from? Well, the main areas with uh, peat production are in the Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. Then you have Sweden, Finland, uh, Russia, and Canada. They're the principal areas. And, uh, and obviously shipping costs have gone up because we're hearing about that all the time. So bring anything into this country is costing more. I mean, do I assume then that for peat to growers, the cost of peat is going to increase? Yes, the cost of peat, uh, that importing uh, of that last shipment, the cost would be three times higher than what it would normally be uh, in, in Ireland. And of course, on top of that, then we have the environmental costs of uh, the transport to the harbour in Latvia, the ship 3,000 kilometres from Latvia to Ireland, and then the transport from the, the harbour to the, uh, uh, the, the factories where it's producing the growing media. And while people might be listening to this, and this is nothing to do with me, it's to do with all of us, because obviously if there's an additional cost to the growers, the knock-on is they have to pass that on. Food prices are going to go up. Yes, uh, certainly, Patricia. And I, I think it's sort of a, a hidden industry, a horticultural industry in Ireland, but there's 17,600 jobs in, in, in that industry, and it has a value to the Irish economy of almost a half a billion, just over 450 million. And uh, peas is required for m- mushrooms, lettuces, veg, uh, trees, shrubs. So it's, uh, it's, it's a vital ingredient uh, in the growing uh, of, of those plants. So if the cost goes up uh, in, the, in the short term, I think the, the prices will uh, be passed on, obviously, to the consumer. But importation cannot continue because... Uh, we will be. It will be cheaper to import the veg, the lettuce, yeah, the carrots, yeah. whatever you want, the one from. Yeah, uh, it's a real, and you know, and the environmental impact on all of this is is just mind uh, boggling. Particularly if we start importing more uh, veg. So, what are you calling on the government to do, John? As you said at the outset, they know there's a problem. They've identified the problem. How do they solve it? The, the government set up a working group to review the use of peat in, in horticulture, and we've had, a, I think, a 10 or 11 meetings, and there was industry, there's been uh, people from Chagas, from the Department of Agriculture, Friends of the Irish Environment, and Tashka, and they have submitted uh, an interim report, and the final report is being uh, uh, completed and should be submitted to Minister Noonan, hopefully by the end of September. And that uh, working group has accepted that uh, horticultural peat is needed in Ireland to 2030 and possibly 2035. They they have also done a lot of uh, work on looking at the alternatives, and it is clear... uh, to Growing Media Ireland, but now to the working group, that there are not sufficient alternatives available in the quality or the quantity uh, that is required to replace peat at this at this current time. And that working group will also say that we need to do research on alternatives. But our members uh, would have invested millions, uh, possibly up to 40 million, in developing alternatives 
alternatives in the past 15 years and they currently are not available as uh, as I say. Okay, unfortunately we're over on time. This is an issue I know we're going to get back to because it's an issue that needs to be sorted sooner rather than later. John, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Uh, Good morning. Uh, That is John Neenan of Growing Media Ireland. Some of your comments coming in. People responding to my interview with Una Ring talking about that legislation now that is going through the Senate and then it has to go through the Dáil and it will eventually become law that stalking becomes a standalone crime because, as we found out, stalking is not a crime at the moment in this country. Lehman Brough says this legislation is so long, long overdue. Stalking is only the thin end of the wedge because it leads to much more serious crime. And God knows, Liam, you're right. Uh, stalkers, Liam reckons, belong, belong in a mental institution, not a jail. They are mentally deranged, Liam uh, reckons. Thanks for that, uh, Liam. Also on stalking, uh, she, Shirley, sorry, Shirley from McCroom says, Patricia, uh, listening with great interest to your talk with Una about stalking, I'm delighted to hear that they're finally doing something about it and something will be done from a legislation point of view in this country. I myself, said Shirley, has, have been stalked a few times throughout the years. It's actually crazy how often it happens. Yeah, that's what I thought when I was asking Una, when I put it to Una, did she feel that when this becomes a law and it becomes a standalone crime, will we see an increase in people reporting it? Because that's what's happened to our nearest neighbours in England, Scotland and Wales, because they also didn't have it as a standalone crime. And when they introduced it, they then people started to come forward and say, yes, it's happening to me. Because at the moment, if you've been stalked and you're going to regard this the guard will say well there isn't a law out there the person isn't doing anything wrong you know unless you can prove what they're doing are in Una's case when you know there was criminal damage done to her property and then when her stalker was caught he what the guard described as a rape kit are in Eve the other girl from Galway who worked with Una in her case, her stalker broke into the house and he had, a, he had a hammer in his hand and it was she had her housemate who he attacked because the housemate discovered him breaking into the house. So yeah, it, at the point that Liam is making, it can lead to much more serious crimes as well. So thank you for your comments on that. We were discussing the importation of a peat and I can see a number of people are absolutely baffled that we've, for the first time ever, we've never before, because we've got bogs in this country, so we've always had our own gorgeous Irish peat, but because of changes to rules and regulations uh, we, we now have to import horticultural uh, peat. Uh, Liz is saying Liz has a, has, a, has a concern she said what's in the peat that's been brought in? There could be anything in it uh, that's alien to the land even though I'm sure it's produced and it's checked but yeah I suppose yeah, pe- some people because it is for horticultural use may have concerns because it's for horticultural use then that will go into the food chain and John from Roscommon who's working in the area and he has become one of our newest listeners uh, says Morning Patricia as you know I'm from Roscommon I live beside Shannon Bridge Power Station which which is now closed. Eden Derry, not 100 miles away. Millions of tonnes of peat, thousands of jobs lost. And then we're hearing that we're importing peat from Latvia, which is probably Irish peat. I can't see bogs over here shipping it over by boat there, which has to be run by diesel. Not to mention all the lorries it will take to take it away. More diesel. Eamon Ryan drives a 2.5 litre van does he? Doesn't make I'm always seeing him on his bicycle anyway uh, doesn't make sense with millions of tonnes of peat in Ireland I, John, 
Roscommon working here in Cork says it's time for a new uh, election and the mind does boggle I can see some people now are only hearing about this uh, this actually broke because it was last weekend this this first shipment arrived it arrived into uh, Drogheda La- it was last Saturday morning uh, actually it was uh, 3,600 tonnes of horticultural peat and then it was a convoy of over 200 trucks then collected the freight which had travelled from uh, Latvia and as I say first time ever in our history that we've had to import horticultural uh, peat but it seems there will be many more shipments from the Baltic states and other EU countries are expected over the coming weeks because we needed to supply the horticultural sector in this uh, country because you know, as John explained since we banned horticultural peat ha- harvesting in September of 2019 we had a stockpile stockpile now is all gone and now we've got to uh, import it and the reason that there's problems here is the harvesting of horticultural peat from Irish bogs greater than 30 hectares. Anyone who has bogs bigger than that have to get involved in getting permission and it's through a very complex four stage licensing and planning system and that's what happened people are going that's not worth it it's too complex I'm not going to do it and seemingly every other country across the EU where we'll end up buying our peat from they operate with a single system and that's what we need in this country some kind of a single system and that would allow the people that have these bogs uh, to start once again making our horticultural uh, peat but it just it does seem absolutely bizarre that we are importing Peat, which obviously then comes at a higher cost, both financially, the environmental impact, you know, as was pointed out by John, all those trucks having to deliver it and the shipping costs of bringing it over. It's just one of those head scratching ones that makes absolutely no sense. Government are accepting that it's not making any sense and nothing seems to be done to rectify it. It's just mind boggling, absolutely mind boggling. Now back to a bonus payment for people who worked very, very hard during pandemic, during the pandemic and during lockdown. Sorry, Patricia, in my opinion. I think it is not, it is everyone that worked in hospitals, no matter what profession they were in, from the highest down to the lowest. If they worked in the hospital during the pandemic, then each and every one of them should be given a bonus. They are the ones that really risk their lives, caring for COVID patients and comforting families of their loved one, loved ones. That's my kiss came listener who believes don't start trying to work out who in the hospital did more than others. Simple way to do it is give it to everyone who worked in a hospital during COVID times. Christine in Cork says, if they're going to be handing out bonuses, says Christine, may I suggest, please, that members of Angarda Siakona should be rewarded. They did so much extra work during the lockdowns. You see, you can see already... Everybody has a view on who should be getting this payment. So I I wouldn't like to be any of the politicians deciding who's going to get it and who's not. Hi, Patricia. How are the government going to work out who should get the bonus for working through the pandemic? There will be people coming out of the woodwork. This listener says, if I hear teachers saying that they want a bonus, that will be a joke. They were probably the only ones who were off for half of the year. And remember, says this sister, they were on full pay. And before a teacher, even though I'm assuming they're all in the classroom, because whenever we read out a comment like that, you'll inevitably get teachers who get really, really annoyed about it. They will say they mightn't have been in the classroom, but they were working from home doing all of the Zoom classes, uh, etc. And they always jump in straight away to say it. Uh, Dennis in Castle Magna does not think 
Oh, now, if there's any nurses listening, he doesn't think that nurses deserve any kind of an extra payment or anyone in the healthcare system deserves any kind of an extra payment. No one can tell what is coming down the line. And he uses the example. When a soldier joins up, signs up to join the army, he can't then ask for extra pay if a war breaks out. At the end of the day, you pick your profession and we all have to do our job. None of us expect to get extra pay for the line of work that we went into and that we signed up for. And Dennis in Castle is making a point that was made by somebody else as well. Who is going to pay for all of this? It'll be our children and our grandchildren and dare I even say our great-grandchildren who will be paying for it into the future. People in this country, says Dennis in Castle have become very greedy. And if you dare to mention a bonus that's what happens people will somebody said they'll come out of the woodwork everyone will have a reason as to why they worked during lockdown and why they deserve the bonus and on the Pete Doney in Newmarket said it's absolute lunacy to let the Greens dictate what's going on in the government we have a shortage of peace for the power stations now how can importing expensive peace be better than using our own but remember the Greens were the the Greens in power no they weren't in power in 2019 this the the ending of horticultural peat production dates back to 2019 Ireland ceased harvesting peat since 2019 and that was following a High Court uh, ruling. So the Greens, you can't, people will blame the Greens for a lot of things, particularly when it's anything to do with the environmental, but we can't blame them for this one. But even if, if you want to go down the route of blaming the Greens, the environmental impact of shipping all of that peat into this country is just incredible. All of the shipping costs, all the trucks that had to turn up to collect it from the, you know, massive big ship that arrived with the it was 3,600 tonnes of peat. I mean, 3,600 tonnes of peat. Did they say 200 trucks were needed then to take it out? And then it's just, yeah, imagine the environmental uh, impact of that making no sense at all. And Michael says, Patricia, just an interesting point for one and all, please. The current problems in the UK is getting very serious. Petrol forecourts now are closing. There's no fuel available uh, to them. And no doubt that will lead to pan- panic buying. And there was evidence already yesterday of people panic buying. Word was getting around on social media of what petrol station had petrol and there was queues starting to form. Michael said this is due to the fact that the UK is short 150,000 drivers. Now that's mostly because of Brexit, but it's also to do with the low pay for truck drivers. Diesel is currently one euro 75 cent per litre in the UK. Is it as high as that? And we're currently at 141.142 for a litre of diesel. I would be rather careful to anyone who's considering driving to the UK at the moment because you could find yourself with an extra tank, an empty tank and not able to fill up. I did see, now I didn't fully read it I was just glancing as I was going through all of the papers this morning in the the Times of London where there was a piece where they're talking about the army being used to drive the petrol to get the petrol into the petrol station so it looks like they're going to have to do that but they have a major problem in the UK with truck drivers because a lot of their truck drivers did come from Eastern European uh, countries and obviously with the pandemic they went back and then that all tied in with Brexit and they were saying well we you know it's not part of the EU anymore so I don't know whether they're entitled to work there or not so no they just haven't come back so there is a massive problem and it's the knock-on effect is a lot of the supermarket shelves in the UK 
there'll be there'll be huge amounts of it empty because they can't get deliveries in. But the latest now to be hit are the petrol stations in in England. It's not a shortage of petrol; it's just a shortage of the big tankers that they need to get on the road to deliver them to get them to the petrol station so yes it is a major major problem in the UK 1850 333 103 Bernie continues to take your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs A farm worker is wanted this is for work in Grenna 087 2394233 a construction worker wanted to work in the Blackpool area Please send your CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Windmill Nursing Care Centre, they're recruiting for experienced registered nurse. Jackie is your contact at 022 59067. And food catering assistant is required for a catering company in the Ballon Temple area. CVs please to info at elitecuisine.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 Now students from all over the country held a sleep out last night at the Dáil. It's to demand immediate and long-term solutions from the government to help with the current student accommodation crisis. One of those students who took part in the sleep out was Ashley O'Mahony, who is president of the Munster Technology University Students Union. And uh, Ashley takes time out to talk to me now. Good morning to Ashley. Hi, how are you getting on? I'm doing well. Did you get any sleep? Um, just about. I mean, it was a hard concrete ground to be lying on all night. But yeah, it's <laughs> not. Has to do it. You were lucky. It was mild. That's the the only. I know. And by the way, I don't know if you've gone through the papers. You were photographed in so many papers today. Just to, just just to tell you now, can you just outline, Ashley, how bad the situation is this year for students trying to access accommodation in Cork City compared, say, to previous years? So I suppose um, if you look at it even in, in the past five years, I'm, I'm speaking in particular in the big... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, 
And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Town area. Um, you know, we used to have maybe 150 houses that were letted out to our students. Um, and I suppose this has decreased um, in the last five years to only 15. So that's 900 beds down to 90 beds available in just houses alone that used to rent our students. Um, these houses are, I suppose, currently being occupied by families or working professionals because landlords now want um, long-term tenants, and that seems to be the aim. So now we have an excess of 810 students who once maybe would have got a house um, in the Bishopstown area with nowhere to sleep. And I suppose the other point, um, I suppose, that would influence this is, you know, there seems to be an increase in numbers every year, the CAO and people going to college, but there just isn't enough beds to put people on. So I suppose the accommodation crisis in Cork has just reached the stage where students either are forced into luxury accommodation, um, which has now actually increased around 230 to 260 euro a week. Um, or else, or else, I suppose, take the long commute. I mean, we've students from West Cork, West Kerry, um, Tipperary. We've, we've actually few students from Roscommon. So you'd be surprised the length and breadth of students um, have to travel just to get a degree. That's that. Surely they can't maintain that. Whatever about commuting for a short period of time. But to, how can people study and do everything that you need to do with college and a, and a really long commute at the beginning and end of each day? Yeah, and to be fair to Mick Barry, he actually brought this up in the doll the other night. Um, I suppose there's many of our students that are forced into cars for four or five hour journeys every single day. I mean, that can't be good for anyone's mental health. <laughs> it definitely isn't good for our car- carbon emissions either. Um, but this is why we're declaring it. The students' unions across Ireland, alongside the USI, are declaring this as a crisis. And we need the government, I suppose, to acknowledge this and to actually act upon it. I suppose this isn't a new issue. Um, it's been ongoing. They know that the numbers are growing and they're continuing to push, you know, for for further education and rightly so, um, and, and further, you know, educate apprentices. If we take all the apprentices as well, just bear that in mind. Um, but we've nowhere to put them. And then the situation arises then where um, I suppose private developers see this as an opportunity, opportunity to extort our students Um and, you know, build these high-rise accommodation blocks, but then, you know, they're going to rip you off. So, I mean, if you're wealthy, you might be able to get through college okay, but, I mean, forget about it if you're the average everyday. Yeah, working-class families can't afford that luxury uh, student student accommodation. Is it also true, Ashley, that we're hearing some students this year decided to defer? Yeah, so I suppose, um, I think people people are just at their wit's end now. Um, I suppose the COVID situation didn't help and the return to campus campus is an absolute shambles at the moment. Um, you know, there was, I suppose, a few sweeping statements made in the doll that all students would be back on campus, but it doesn't seem to be the reality at the moment. So I think students are just set up and um, they either can't get accommodation or they're not, um, they're not fully back on campus. So people are just, just, I suppose, freaking out and deciding to defer their course, um, which is quite sad because there is things we can do something about it. Um, but I suppose, like, you know, at the moment, it does look like the deck is loaded in favour of the big landlords and the big businesses who are using our students as cash cows. 
But I suppose our plan as student unions all over the country, we have a plan to shift the balance of power from these big landlords and big businesses to the students. And we're, we aim to launch huge campaigns this year in particular um, for, you know, for students to vote for candidates with the, the welfare of students and their best interests at heart. Because, look, I won't go too much into the detail about the story. I'm sure everyone has a student in their family and, and knows full well how, how it can affect you. Um, but I suppose we're just fed up of being milked at every single turn just to get an education. Um, I suppose I was on camera yesterday on RTE spray painting a, a bed sheet saying that, you know, you can ignore our welfare, which can't ignore our votes. And I genuinely mean that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So. And, you know, there's there's enough of you out there as well. And, and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, our legislators listen. It's like the grey vote. The older people showed us how, how to do it when they tried to take the medical card away and they voted with their feet. So, you know, I think they will, you, will, you will get listened uh, to. Because it's true as well, Ashley, that some students are staying in hotels and B&Bs. That now has become an option for many. Yeah, I suppose... Um well, in, especially in the current climate with the current the return to campus and a lot of uncertainty, people, I suppose, can't invest a lot of money in signing these big contracts, um, you know, for student accommodation complexes. Um, as far as I'm aware, student accommodation complexes across Cork are completely booked out. There's waiting lists the length of my arm. Um, so people are just looking for any way to at all to get some sort of a bed near the college. Um so, I mean, this is now what we're putting our future generation to come, you know, through just in order to get their degree. Um, I don't think you see it anywhere else, you know, and to add on top of that, like we have the highest fees in Europe um, and we're just making it as hard as possible for our students to get across the line. Um, and I suppose, you know, the only way we can change that is to vote. And you, you did mention about the grey vote. I mean, they have complete power, you know, and they are listened to. But I suppose, you know, sometimes maybe when you're 18, 19, you might not think that voting, you know, might affect you in a big way. You have other things going on. However, you know, you are the people that will it will affect the most. Mm. Um, but I suppose, you know, what we were what we're looking to lobby the government for now is just much needed publicly funded accommodation where rent rates can be controlled and student tenants actually have more rights. I mean, I, I will also make a comment to say that I personally think that the RTB have a lot to answer for also. I mean, where in the law does it state that students have no rights or protections? You know, why is this one segment of the adult voters being discriminated against just because they're going to college? I mean, Patricia, if there were any, you know, if this was any other minority cohort, there would be absolute uproar to be treated in this manner. You know, and to get away with it. On the other hand, so okay, and then um, trying trying to come up with some of the solutions, Ashley. I mean, I heard the Taoiseach from New York uh, when he was asked about it. He said, "Well, I can't build houses uh, overnight." I mean, what are the short? Firstly, what are the short term solutions? I mean, this. You know, what what we're actually, do, you know, the it seems to be the that there is no quick fix for this. There needs to be financial provision in the 2022 budget to allow for building of affordable purpose-built student accommodation. That would be the number one goal. But affordable, that that word affordable has to be in there. Yeah. Students aren't looking for luxury hotels to stay in. And look, you know, fair enough if you can afford it. But why are we, you know, you know, if you're, if you have the money, you can get an education. 
it looks like if, if you're the ordinary average person, you can forget about it. But the other, maybe a quick fix might be, at the moment, is regulation. And they have the power to do that. You know, regulate the high cost of rent. Stop the, the, these landlords from increasing rent rates year on year. I mean, when they can't increase the rent any higher, they add these extra costs to your bill, such as made-up cleaning fees, €600 Euro cleaning fees. We, I had to pay one year um, in, an, in an apartment. That was already clean, and I, I can tell you, I don't even know if it was cleaned after us. Four hundred euro to park your car outside the door, and huge maintenance fees. And every single year, we also get students, good students, that fail to get their deposits back. I mean, where is the protection there? So we're asking for more regulation on private accommodation providers that are targeted at students to stop this daylight robbery. Um, so that would be the short-term solution, in my opinion. But long-term, I mean, there just needs to be investment um, for purpose-built student accommodations and to ensure that these places remain student accommodations, that they're not all of a sudden decided, oh, we're actually going to rent to tourists now, which is happening on a large scale. You know, some places that were purposely built for student accommodation are seeing an opportunity elsewhere. You know, maybe they're starting to bring in working families the tourism industry and and it's kicking out our students and they've nowhere to go so i just think it's time for the government to step up and and actually protect our students i mean i'll tell you one thing patricia we stood outside the door all day yesterday and we had the opposition parties by our side all day listening to our concerns and giving us the time of day we had other politicians who are currently in power who walked straight past us i mean I mean, if that doesn't spell out a problem, then I don't know what will. So it's, it's at the point now, I mean, I don't know if, you're, if you saw it, but I mean, Trinity had a protest with a couple of hundred, I mean, there was a good 600 Yeah, because it's, it's, it's important to point out that while you're representing and speaking on behalf of students uh, in Cork and in particular attending your own college in, in Munster Technology University, this is a nationwide issue. This is mm-hmm. happening all over the country. Yeah, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, you know. Okay. They're, 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 you know, I mean, I sometimes I have to, you know, they, they're investing money into mental health, which is absolutely fantastic. But do they know they're contributing to the mental health crisis, you know, by expecting students to and families under huge financial pressure? Yeah, and if you're a low-income family, you simply can't do it. And that shouldn't be a barrier to somebody going on to a third-level education. A couple of people are asking about digs. Are, are digs still available? Um, they are, yeah. they are, Patricia. Um, they are still available now. I, digs seem to be um, a little bit, I suppose, outdated in my opinion. And um, it's not really where students want to get their student experience. Um, but we have fantastic digs in our area that are that are re- reasonably priced. Now, it would have been an old, an older maybe thing to do. So a lot of the landlords that once would have done, you know, provided digs. Um, aren't really doing that anymore. So our list of digs is decreasing and decreasing year on year as well. So, I mean, that's not really a sustainable way at looking 
at accommodating the, the student population that's growing and growing and yeah, growing. Yeah, and it doesn't you know. digs don't suit everyone. Okay, John, one of our, our listeners says, uh, Patricia, your interviewee is superb. That is uh, Ashley Nomahani, uh, President of Munster Technology University. Um, the government are aware of student accommodation. This is an issue that's been going on for 10 years and they've done nothing. They've left it up to the private sector who are now exploiting students, many of whom simply cannot afford to pay. These young people are our future and many will now be excluded from uh, college says uh, John okay listen um, Ashley we'll leave it there uh, we'll let you get to bed and get a few hours uh, sleep <laughs> after your missed sleep last night but we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today thank you very much good thank morning you. to you bye 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 Ashleen O'Mahony president of the Munster Technology University Students Union and somebody said is that the OCIT it is and I always keep I always have to stop when I go Munster Technology University yes it's the old uh, CIT campus 1815 Bernie's taking your calls you can text you can whatsapp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, I'm delighted to report that McCroom Food Festival is going ahead this year and will take place this Sunday from 12 noon to 5pm. And joining me with details of this year's festival is Catherine Costello, who's part of the organising committee. Good morning to you, Catherine. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Well, it's great to chat with you again. Now, it's a smaller format than usual, but you must be thrilled that the Food Festival is going ahead this year. Uh, Yeah, we're delighted to be back in whatever form um, we we can be this year. It's uh, like every other event. It's a year like no other. Um, So we have a combination of real life and virtual events this year that we're um yeah we're just thrilled to be back we're thrilled to be talking to our traders and our producers again and there's a real air of anticipation i think yeah and so what can people expect next sunday so next sunday is our usual um sunday of the festival so we've condensed our three or four day festival that that you're used to um into one day event so we've uh, we've chosen our biggest event which is the outdoor food festival and we're so we're running with uh, just the outdoor element as opposed to um you know all of the indoor uh, bits and pieces around town that we used to run over a four-day period before so sunday will be um a big market on the main square in mccroom featuring all the um all the lovely uh, food and drinks producers that we've uh, seen over the years um, we are slightly limited in capacity in that we're allowing space for more seating and more queuing and allowing, you know, social distancing and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a really, really nice um, outdoor festival event. That would be terrific. And, and people, I think, there's still a bit of concern and nervousness about going indoors. So I think people are still happier about the idea and you, you certainly will attract, I think, more people by having it outdoors. I think so, and I think it'll be slightly different in that usually you, you've seen yourself on the square on the on the Sunday of festival weekend. It is jam packed. Yeah. So we're hoping with the extra space this year that people will come out for longer. They'll, um, you know, eat and drink their way around the square and maybe sit down and stay a bit longer. So it'll be a slightly different uh, type of event. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. A lot of our indoor events were. We just weren't sure if, we could, if the um, if the appetite was there. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. No, I think year. I think so I think you're right. It's, it's slowly but surely people's confidence is, uh, confidence has been rebuilt. But for something like this, I think you know, put it outside, 
you know, anyone who is nervous then will feel more comfortable uh, coming. Will there be musical entertainment on the streets? There'll be music. Great. There'll be some street theatre from the Circus Factory, the Cork Circus Factory. So we're very excited about that. They always um, they always bring the fun. Um, so they'll be there and uh, we have a huge variety. Um, some new, some who've been with us since the start um, in 2012 when we kicked off the festival for the first time. So we have a huge variety of food this year, including some some newbies. I, 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 2012, so you'll have your, your, tenth, next, your 10th anniversary next year. Yeah. God, yeah it's yeah, hard yeah. to believe yeah, that. It's hard to believe. It it's is, believe. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm really, I was, I was really intrigued to read about this online offering. It's a, a virtual food tour of the Lee Valley. Yeah, yeah, Tell me about really, that. really excited about this. So I'd encourage all, all your listeners to, to check out the videos that are uh, being published this week on um, our social media platforms, the McCroom Food Fest on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We um, have joined forces this year and we're delighted to join forces with the team that brought the McCroom St. Patrick's Day virtual celebration. Yeah. So they've been beavering away behind the scenes uh, with John O'Sullivan, our videography from eventvideography.ie, filming uh, pieces from individual traders and producers and hospitality around town. So we've we've 20 different um, uh, traders, or or indeed cafes, restaurants, hotels and producers involved. And we're busy publishing all those videos this week. And that essentially will be a virtual tour of all the really, really um, high quality uh, food producers and and, um, places that run venues that we have in McCroom and around the greater Lee Valley area. So people like Falon Preserves who make um, really delicious jams and um, chutneys and preserves out in out in Balavorny are one of our key sponsors for the um, virtual food tour this year. So it'll feature them, it'll feature the Toonsbridge Dairy and the Real Olive Company, um, Michael Toomey Butchers, who's the first guaranteed Irish butcher um, in Ireland, the Roche to Foods, the Lost Valley Dairy, who's a really new cheese producer um, a sustainable farm uh, here in the Lee Valley making cheese from a herd of just four cows. Hmm. Uh, we have um, our favourites, McCroom Buffalo Cheese, and we have Otuma Tours doing recipes with um, with with those cheeses. We have Kool-Aid Cheese, we have the Glowncross Dairy, which you're probably familiar with. Absolutely. They, Milk and bottle their own yeah. um, uh, their own milk cheese, buttermilk, and uh, and really delicious cream. And um, we have then here in town we have Lynch's Bakery, with Muesli Cafe, Vaughan's Cafe, the McCroom Bookshop and Chocolate Cafe, the Mills Inn, the Old Triangle, the Neens. Uh, who else? We have the Castle Hotel, and we have a really lovely new deli called Pickled Deli here on the Square, who opened up during the pandemic and are doing really well and doing well done. And these and little, these little videos are they sort of behind the scenes? Will you get to see some yeah. of the products? Oh, I love the idea yeah, of that. So you get to see some of the how how they actually make their produce. Yeah, all about the story of the families behind the I mean a lot of these are family businesses so you get an intro behind the scenes to the family and the production facilities and you know how they got started. It's a, a little bit like for those who are old enough to remember um, through the magic door on Bosco. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> like that. You really are, when you're going down through that list of different uh, food producers and establishments, you really are blessed in the, in the Lee Valley. You've got some incredible artisan food producers. Incredible. We yeah. say it 
I mean, we say it all the time, but particularly around festival time, we really reflect on how uh, densely populated we are with food producers in the area. We're really lucky. And yeah. I guess the lovely thing, Patricia, about it is that we're beginning to see, or not even beginning, where you see those um, those foods on menus the length and breadth of the country. So they're, you know, their quality is really... Um, you know, really having an impact and really um, impressing on on chefs and uh, other eateries around the country. Yeah, yeah, far and wide. And and that's what I love about all of the the different uh, food festivals and and we've been honoured over the years here on the programme to be able to go out and do outside broadcasts at many of them. But what I love about them is we're able to showcase everything yeah. that is good about an area when it comes to food. Because, you know, there's areas around the country where everybody is, oh, they're the food capital of this and it's the food capital of that. And you forget about other areas that equally have these incredible food producers yeah. beavering away and producing Absolutely. such high-class uh, goods. So so well done to... We're really lucky. We're yeah, really lucky. Yeah. I'm, and, and I'm assuming, Catherine, that the pandemic has been tough on some of those small producers. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it, it has been tough on, um, I guess, people with physical premises that haven't been able to open. I mean, that it's been a really sad time for a lot of our hospitality industry. I don't need to, yeah. don't need to remind anyone of that. Um, I mean, it, what's interesting is that uh, some of the smaller startups have actually started during the pandemic. And maybe we're all a little bit more inward focused with our food at the moment. You know, you see the likes of neighbour food and... Um, selling and highlighting really good uh, artisan producers so it's uh, it's been an unusual time i think good for some um, and and not so good for others yeah for others yeah yeah but we and we all need to eat and that was the one thing we all need to eat and we all ate during the pandemic for sure I was just going to say boy have we done that yeah (laughs) Yeah, and now an opportunity to do it all over again on Sunday as part of the McCroom Food Festival and and, and before I go I just want to mention that there is an opportunity for people to win um, one of three delicious hampers of all of the foods that I mentioned including a a really lovely recipe book from the Guggenbarra Hotel brilliant that will be going up later on our social media so um Keep if people want to taste first they can, uh, they can uh, win that when it will be announced uh, on Sunday. But the food festival, a main square in McCroom between 12 and 5. And as I always say, when you're going to the, uh, the actual market, go hungry because believe hungry. me, you will come back full for sure. Yes, Listen, uh, Catherine, it was a pleasure. And here's to the 10th next year when you'll be back bigger and better. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have you back for the outside broadcast. It will be great. It will be great. Listen, look after yourselves and uh, take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Catherine Costello, part of the organising committee for the McCrew Food Festival. And well done. Obviously, they couldn't have a festival last year, but they're they're, they're coming back. It's uh, smaller than usual, but it's still everything that's great about the McCrew Food Festival will be there on the square next Sunday between 12 and 5. And as Catherine says, check out their social media for more details of that virtual tour of the food tour of the Lee Valley. Bernie's taking your calls, 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. 
Anthony John in Cork City lives near UCC. He's sick of hearing about students moaning about accommodation. He reckons they're holding the residents to ransom. They're having Freshers' Week next week, and obviously John, who lives close to UCC, is dreading Freshers' Week uh, next uh, week. And that's for, I suppose, the students who have managed to get accommodation. But there are so many of them, John, this year didn't manage to get uh, accommodation. I thought one of the one of the figures that Ashley Nomahani gave was uh, a number of years ago there was a hundred and fifty student properties in the Bishopstown area, and that's gone down to fifteen because obviously we have a housing crisis, and if landlords can get somebody to move into a house that are going to be there all year round, where students are there typically for what eight, maybe nine months. You can understand why some landlords are going to go down that route but these were traditionally student accommodation and there's just there's just not enough beds basically for all of the students that uh, need them. Another listener says I was very impressed with your interview with Ashleen O'Mahony. Uh, President of the Students' Union this morning who spoke on the plight of student accommodation. She has a vision on how to deal with the situation, unlike our politicians who have presided over numerous budgets over the last decades which have facilitated the rich with tax break to accumulate property portfolios and pay virtually no tax, all deemed legal by successive governments. Some of these properties are idle, which is an absolute disgrace and shame on our politicians for allowing this to uh, happen says the listener there's no text or there's no name on that Uh, still getting in calls about who should get a Covid bonus and who should not Pat wants to know that if they decide to give a, a Covid bonus to across all of the public sector Pat wants to know does that mean that Leo Varadkar would also get a a bonus (laughs) No, it would be a very stupid politician that would sign up to get a bonus from Covid and how they battled through the pandemic even though they'll all say they worked very hard during the pandemic in order to get the country some way up and running and get us into lockdowns and out of lockdowns and all of that so they would have worked politicians did work above and beyond what they normally do but I don't think any of them are saying that they deserve a a bonus Marie says Patricia I hope this message finds you well in relation to this bonus what about family carers what about drivers cleaners cleaning in HSE offices and cleaning in hospitals retail staff staff of the Defence Forces people who had to work from home and ended up having to pay extra heating and electricity and internet costs what about all of those people says Marie yeah and you're summing up what a number of people are saying once you start to look at bonus payments for how people got through lockdown and how people got through the pandemic the list will literally be endless for anyone who did any kind of work during the pandemic will all put their hands up and say you're handing out a bonus I'm deserving of it as well and someone who is defending nurses said nurses didn't just do their duty. They went above and beyond it. Do you realise you could be at their mercy yet and I'm sure you would be well cared for in spite of your view? My view? I was reading other listeners' views but anyway. uh, You do have a point but stretch your humanity a bit for God's sake. They deserve a raise more than politicians who award themselves a raise whether the country can afford it uh, or not. Now I don't know which of the comments you're picking up on but I take it probably one of the comments you're picking up on was the one where it was Leo Varadkar, the Tonishtha, who I think I promoted to Taoiseach, my apologies. Leo Varadkar was making the point that if you're looking at the healthcare sector, how are you going to decide which sector of the nurses 
did work and many of them did work above and beyond uh, for sure and many of them weren't able to get home to their families because they're afraid of bringing COVID back with them particularly the ones that say worked in ICU and worked in the high dependency wards with people who were in hospital with uh, COVID they were terrified of bringing COVID home with them but he was making the point there was others then not just in the health sector but across other sectors who didn't through no fault of their own, they didn't get redeployed or their particular section wasn't working. It was part of lockdown, so they didn't actually go to work. So how do you make, that was the point he was making, how do you decide who gets it and who doesn't? I take it from your uh, text, you'd give it right across the board to all of uh, the uh, nurses. And then on what's going on in England, and there's a knock-on effect here with a shortage of truck drivers uh, as well. Eddie in Oven says, Patricia, it's not a shortage of tankers in the UK it's the shortage of drivers just like here and Donna says regarding the trucks in the UK the same thing will happen here because high diesel costs will put all hauliers out of businesses and you'll find the trucks will be parked up and this is to do with the, the story that in England uh, BP have been forced to ration fuel de- deliveries and they're now and I'm reading this from the front page of the Times London who are saying that Boris Johnson is putting a contingency plan in place to put soldiers on standby to drive petrol tankers. BP is restricting deliveries to dozens of petrol stations in the UK because of a shortage of lorry drivers. At least 50 of the oil giant's 1,200 service stations across Britain are understood to be missing at least one grade of fuel and several have had to temporarily close because they don't have any fuel and they're obviously prioritising the motorway uh, sites. And it isn't that Britain has a shortage of petrol or diesel. It's to do with the fact that they don't have enough drivers to to transport it to the four courts and a lot of that was to do with Brexit and Eastern Europeans who drove many of these trucks went at home and I kind of had a bit of a wry smile when I read that Boris Johnson is facing a cabinet split over plans to allow companies to use more foreign lorry drivers. The Environmental Secretary is pushing for lorry drivers now to be put on the shortage occupation list which would allow more to enter the country. Isn't it bizarre? They didn't want workers from other countries with Brexit. They wanted these jobs to be there for the British people and you know make Britain great again and all of that and suddenly they realise that a lot of people don't want to do those jobs so now they're going to have to look go back to the very workers who once worked there and say will you come back we'll give you a special visa Uh, we'll watch that one closely but people are saying yeah we could end up having the same situation in uh, this country and uh, for sure we we do have an issue we absolutely do have an issue with a shortage of uh, truck drivers and Billy and Bandon is picking up on, on the truck drivers and the peat bringing in this horticultural peat coming in from Latvia last uh, Saturday he says weren't we lucky that we had 200 trucks to ferry the peat from the boat when we have such a shortage of uh, truck drivers 1850 John in North Cork is a truck driver they are on €14.22 Euro 22 cent per hour. All the courses and all the experience don't seem to count for much. Some shop workers are getting paid more. No wonder there's a shortage of drivers. You're not the first truck driver, John, to contact us when we say we have a shortage of uh, truck drivers. And that also seems to be the problem in the UK. The Eastern Europeans who had worked in the UK before Brexit were willing to work for the lower pay. But a lot of the English drivers 
our English people don't want to do those jobs because they say that the pay, the pay and the conditions aren't right. So yeah, and uh, and I didn't realise it was as low as that for truck drivers in Ireland, fourteen euro twenty two cent an hour, and they work very very long hours uh, indeed. Thank you for your call, John, and stay safe on the roads. Then the, oh, there was somebody mentioned about I don't know where that text has gone about Eamon Ryan driving to work. Here is it. Is it Jim? Jim says the Green Party have a lot to answer for when it comes to the closing of bogs in this country and instead now we find ourselves importing horticultural peat and all the job losses as a, a result and even though they weren't in power when that decision was made but anyway. Then Jim says I heard that Eamon Ryan drives a big jeep and parks near the doll and then cycles the rest of the way to make it look good for the cameras. I don't know where that is coming from and I can't find anything online Jim. I don't know where you're hearing that from but, 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 because what I do know is that Eamon Ryan lives close enough to the doll to be able to uh, cycle. He's only, I think, did I see, he's six kilometres away. So his journey takes him about 20 minutes. So I couldn't see him driving, parking up the Jeep and or whatever. And I don't think he drives a Jeep. He did drive a diesel van, but I'm sure did I read somewhere last year that he bought an electric car. But anyway, so I don't know where you're coming from on that. But Dennis says, ignoring the fact that Eamon Ryan does have a large family and he also has a son with special needs. So let's leave the vehicle he drives out of the discussion. The fact that the Greens were not in government when the peat extraction ban was implemented. The entire planet was effectively shut down last year and the recent study on global greenhouse gas levels were at their highest ever in 2020 despite all the lockdowns. We should be trying and doing everything and anything we can to reduce emissions that is from Dennis and a lot of the Green Party would agree with you on that and then Ross sent in a text just uh, in the last hour saying could you explain please about that ad you're running on the radio about the guy who lost his nose it was just on the ad break there before the news that's an ad about radio and how effective radio advertising can be and I've heard so many people the first time I heard it as well I said Paul what's that about and he said wait until you hear the end and then I realised it's to do with the fact that radio can paint a picture and it's to show how radio advertising works and the fact that it can capture people's imagination and every time I hear that ad that guy makes me smile telling a story so that's it's, if you listen to the end of it <laughs> you'll hear exactly what is uh, going on and Theo Park have been on to say Patricia would you please give a mention there's a driving concert at Theo Park next uh, Sunday half two in the afternoon Mission 10 Euro music will be by Pat Costello and Declan Anger. The concert is a fundraiser for the renovation and upkeep of Theo Park. Thanking you, uh, Patricia. Glad uh, to give that a mention. And Anne in West Cork was on to say she was reading in this week's Southern Star a piece about Macronaferma. A Macronaferma want the government to provide free contraception to all young women aged between 17 and 25 and to provide them with modern sexual education, uh, including consent training. Why is it only women? that are mentioned by uh, MACRA and also says consent training requires uh, staying sober and uh, uh, and I'll pull you on that consent has got nothing to do with uh, drinking consent is consent but just on what, what MACRA are doing and why they are particularly talking about girls this is part of the MACRA and Affirm uh, pre-budget submission and they've called on the government to deliver on a commitment 
that it made, it was in the programme for government, a commitment for free access to contraception to women and girls aged between 17 and 25. And it's to provide modern and consistent sexual education to those in education. Now, that wasn't just for girls, the sexual education, including consent training was for everyone, was for boys and girls. But the free contraception is only aimed at girls aged between 17 and 25. The idea behind that in the programme for government was that cost is a barrier for young women in choosing their form of contraception. It uh, is a gendered issue as women and the research is there. Women tend to bear the brunt of the cost when it comes to contraception. So Mark and Affirma are calling out the government in advance of the budget saying the government needs to make good on a commitment that they made in the programme for government. So that's where that's coming from. So it isn't MACRA that are only looking for free contraception. They're saying, come on, government, you made this commitment. Do something about it. Thank you for your call, Anne, to 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Horgan's Bar and Lounge in Newmarket have a coffee morning going on this morning. Uh, It's going on until one o'clock, so you've got about a half an hour left. Mask wearing, social distancing, all proceeds proceeds going to Marymount. There is a drive in Bingo in the Creamer Yard in Kildallery. That's on tonight at eight. While Anne Creedon is hosting a Spanish circle on Friday nights at eight o'clock in Ma Murphy's Beer Garden in Bantry. It's for speakers of Spanish. The group is free and is growing. So everyone is welcome to come along. If you speak a little bit of Spanish, off you go. You can find more details from Anne at 086 I think that's a lovely idea. And Cantor Community AstroTurf. They're holding a fundraising draw for a Toyota car worth €33,000. It's to raise funds to develop an AstroTurf at Green Anne in Cantor. Tickets are priced at €20 or three for 50 Tickets can be purchased at canturkastroturf.ie or from participating shops in the area. There's an early bird draw, draw taking place for tickets sold before midnight uh, tonight. So you're asked to please support. And finally, instead of her usual coffee day, Anne McCarthy, the old head, will do a walk next Sunday for Marymount Hospice. If you'd like to donate or join her to walk a mile or two along the way, you can contact her on 087 2376750. Good luck to Anne. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103103. John in Mitchellstown says a lot of nurses worked right throughout the lockdown. Many of them couldn't even go home for fear of infecting their family or as they had to fully detox themselves before going into their house. We have a lot of very narrow minded people in this country, says John in Mitchellstown, who I take it from that is saying give all nurses a pay increase or some kind of a bonus and Tom says Patricia Manchester United soccer player uh, Cristiano Ronaldo will earn tens of millions of pounds sterling and euro what does he do he kicks a football around the pitch while nurses and doctors care ex- assistants etc will earn pittance saving people's lives and minding people it doesn't make sense to Tom a lot of people Tom will agree with you on that point uh, for sure Anthony says I hope they don't forget about the many many parents that had to stay at home full time with special needs children with absolutely no outlet or no 
help, says uh, Anthony, when all of the schools closed and people went into lockdown. And uh, listen, that you're you're talking about carers there, and there are carers have struggled and continue to struggle. I know something we're hoping to do next Monday. We weren't able to get to it today. I'm hoping to have a chat with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland to do with their daycare centres because a lot of people are saying when are the daycare centres starting to reopen? Now we have been hearing of some of our fabulous local daycare centres that have started to reopen because they all closed and they closed at the start of the pandemic back in March of 2020 and they're one of the last to reopen. But people who are looking after a loved one who suffer from Alzheimer's, the only break they get is the day they go to the local daycare centre and you know people are desperate for those daycare centres to open so we have put a call through to the Alzheimer's Society and I'm with I'm, I'm sure I don't know if they've confirmed or not from Monday or not if Bernie can hear me she can't um, we're hoping to speak about it on Monday uh, because some of the centres are going to open but it looks like there's a problem with others because when they do open they still have to be COVID compliant which I take it is going to mean one door in one door out that's not going to be practical with all of the daycare centres so we might have the best of news for all people who are looking after a loved one with Alzheimer's but we'll come back to that as they say on uh, Monday. Could we open up our bogs again please instead of importing this horticultural peat I question what's in some of the stuff. Well it's to do with licensing and it's to do with planning permission and it's to do with a complex system that we have in place that the government are aware of but they need to speak. I think now maybe with the focus and the attention going on this it just seems like a joke, doesn't it, that Ireland's importing peat with all the bogs we have in this country. And I think with the more attention that goes on it and, you know, programmes like this talking about it and the more that we see articles in the paper following last week's, the first consignment of the horticultural peat being brought in, I think that puts more of a spotlight on it and just might make the government quicken up the process and sort out what is wrong with the system and sort it out so that people can go back to supplying horticultural peat again to people that need it. Did you know Patricia that the the knock shrine, the buses are back from next Sunday. It'll be a great day for Ireland thank God, says a new market listener who says I simply can't uh, wait. 1850 And then we had a listener who contacted us yesterday who wanted to find out about her seven-year-old son who came home from school on Wednesday and they got a text message to say that he was a close contact. Somebody in his bubble had tested positive. He had since had his COVID test, her son has, came back negative, but he's to remain at home for 10 days. And she wanted to know, does her son still have to remain home uh, for, for the next 10 days or not or with the new system that's coming in from uh, Monday and your son is not alone they reckon there's about 10,000 primary school children currently at home who have been designated to close contact uh, and these are people, these are children who've tested negative but they still have to remain at home waiting on a second uh, test the word from the Department of Education is all of those children can return to school next Monday even without their second all clear test. Principals and teachers were told yesterday that the HSE public health teams now, they will no longer routinely visit a school. That's what has been happening. As soon as a child tests positive, the school gets onto the HSE. They send out a public health team. That's all stopping from next uh, Monday. What they're asking teachers to do is to keep a close observation of children for possible COVID-19 symptoms. So if one child tests positive in the bubble, the others in the bubble can remain in class. Teacher is aware 
that little Johnny has gone home. He's tested positive. So she'll keep an eye on the other kids in the pod. That's what they're now asking them to do. Don't know how that's going to go down with uh, teachers who say they've enough to be doing. Anyway, and of course, it all follows the rule change that has come in that children now no, no longer also don't, if they're deemed a close contact in a school situation, now this is important, has to be a close contact at a school. They don't have to go forward for testing. They don't have to stay home uh, for 10 uh, days. However, the HSE said any child who was at home as a close contact but has symptoms you must keep those child those children can't return next uh, Monday it'll be there'll be a similar return of children who are out of close who are close contacts and are out from childcare sports or social groups they can all return on Monday if a child tests positive in a special education school the HSE public health team, they will continue to visit. Children who are deemed close contacts in a special education setting, they must still restrict their movements, but they've halved the number of days that they have to stay at home. It's gone from 10 days to five days and they've also reduced the two tests down to one test. And public health officials say that the risk of school transmission is not enough to warrant keeping a child at home. They reckon it's too disruptive on the education and on their social development. And because of that, they're saying no need, no need for them uh, to remain at home. But the they're you know still saying, urging parents to please keep a close eye on your children if your child is unwell if they experience any of the common symptoms of COVID-19 then they're saying please contact your doctor and do all of the usual thing thing. but it's when you get identified as a close contact in a school that's gone now the children can return to school but if you're a close contact in the house if another sibling gets COVID-19 then everyone has to remain at home the children have to remain at home for 10 days and do all of the testing and it's the same if the child if your child went for a sleepover to a friend's house and the friend or somebody in the house gets a COVID-19 positive case then you're back to staying at home for 10 uh, days. Anyway, it's, 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 it's coming as a huge relief because there's been so many children. And remember, the positivity rate of those 10,000 children that are at home was at 5.6%. So the majority of them didn't pick up COVID-19. But because of the restrictions and the rules that were in place, they were forced to remain at home for 10 days, which had a knock-on then for working parents who had to stay at home and mind them. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text or watch. WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And I took on board your recommendation from last week and it was only last night. I watched Cinderella on Amazon Prime. <laughs> And I bet you loved it. Now, you see, uh, my, my husband was out at the time and he was at the gym and he came back on. Oh, dear God, what are you watching? And I said, you'd hate it. So I said, just don't even try to get involved because you're absolutely going to hate it. I, 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 I loved it. I have to say I loved it. Yeah. And, and, you know, anything I'd read about it, and I think you said it as well, if you liked The Gracious Showman, which I did, you're going to, lo- you're going to love this movie. And I tell you what, I, you know, it dragged on a bit, I have to say. It was a bit longer, because I was thinking of the kids watching it, it was a bit longer than it needed to be. But anyway, I thought the dance scenes were amazing. The costumes were just incredible. And it looked beautiful. It absolutely, the way it was filmed, it looked beautiful. And the singing was superb. And I 
loved the fact and I would love parents to sit children down to watch it. I loved the fact that Cinderella was her own woman and she didn't just run away to marry a prince and become a queen. Well, basically, yeah, you've basically done my review because I said that. I said yeah. that I thought the costuming, I thought the film looked great. I thought the cinematography was fabulous. And I that the, the kind of whole PC part to it didn't bother me at all. In fact, I yeah. thought it was great. I mean, you saw that uh, the, the the prince had a sister, which we've never seen before, and she was very much a modern woman as well, with modern kind of um, you know political thoughts on how uh, the kingdom should be run. I liked all of that stuff. Yeah. I thought that was really really good. You know, um, it's just my problems were that it was very clunky at times. But as I said, I will not tell anybody at any time ever not to go see a film. I said, look, if you loved the Greatest Showman, like you just said, I you think you would love this. Yeah, and I. I think, you know, and uh, there's a certain kind of a population out there who loves this kind of thing and they will love it. I loved about 60% of it. Unfortunately for me, about 40% was so funky and weird and not great because some of the some of the humour, I think, uh, just kind of died at times and that was a bit of a shame. Yeah. Other than that, you know, I, I thought a lot of it, that's why I said it was so frustrating. I loved it and I disliked it in equal measure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you loved it. I'm glad yeah, you loved it's, it. it is. It is. It's definitely worth the watch because it's just a different take on uh, Cinderella as well. Okay, you watched a couple of movies first uh, this week. Uh, one being the Suicide Squad, and the other one is it called CI Ape? Yep. CI Ape. Okay, we've got a quick trailer from the Suicide Squad. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your suicide squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Wallace and maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't... Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission went more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? No. All right. Let's get it. Okay, we're talking action-packed movie here. I take it, Mark. Uh, very much so. Yeah, and it's um, it's uh, kind of a follow-up. It's kind of a sequel to Suicide Squad. So that's how you tell the difference between them: oh. it's either Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> and uh, of course, since in between those two films, we've also had kind of an offshoot with uh, Margot Robbie. Uh, who uh, plays uh, Harley Quinn here once again. And the difference between kind of the original and this, there's a number of things happened along the way, because the original was at a time when DC were making these really, really kind of joyless kind of action movies. And they kind of, there was a certain kind of fandom that really, really liked them. But there was a lot, but for the, 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 the cinema goers who, who were going along in their droves and their millions to see Marvel, for example, movies, which were, of course, um, really crushing it. Um, um, it was, these films were a kind of disappointment. The DC versions were a disappointment. And so um, a couple of years back, James Gunn, the director who made Guardians of the Galaxy movies for uh, Marvel, uh, he misbehaved ever so slightly. And so Disney, who owned Marvel, said that we don't want to be um, you know, associated with you anymore. So he was dropped from the kind of Marvel world. Uh, DC, on the other hand, went, all right, come work with us. And we'll make a new version of the Suicide Squad. And basically what we want is we want that kind of very, very similar kind of an attitude that you did with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which were great fun with great characters and great action sequences. And that's basically what he's kind of replicated here. The only difference is, though, between these, uh, this film and the Guardians of the Galaxy is just the level of violence. The level of violence yeah. has been kind of stepped up. Uh, they don't seem to want to make, you know, family movies anymore. I mean, if you took the violence out of this, Anybody could watch it, you know what I mean? A six-year-old could watch it with an 86-year-old. But these days, and I presume 
it's the um, it's the Deadpool effect, unfortunately. Now it's almost like, well, we have to make it as violent as possible uh, to try and get teenagers. And, to come and, and is there there obviously is a market for that? Well, Deadpool showed that there was. Yeah, yeah. And that's all very well fine. I mean, yeah. Look, if it's if it's promoted and if it's kind of uh, you know advertised that way, look, this is, but it's not really, and that's kind of my worry about it. It's kind of a fifteen uh, cert, I think, which is probably about right. But I mean, you know, the the level of violence is extraordinary. I mean, heads don't heads explode here. You know what I mean? There's an awful lot of that, and heads are are chopped off and kind of thing. So it is a higher level of violence. So keep that in mind. You know, if you uh, have watched the Guardians of Galaxy with your kids, for example. Uh, this is very much, when it comes to violence, just a, a, a higher level. And so James Gunn, but having said that, James Gunn has done a very, very good um, uh, job of this, in fact. And it's very similar to Guardians of the Galaxy in that he takes time for us to get to know the characters. And the characters are very, very interesting. Harley Quinn is back again with Margot Robbie, who's terrific. I mean, her first her first appearance, really, is she's late for a meeting. She sticks her head in the door and says, I'm sorry, I was going number two. Now, when have you seen a female <laughs> character say a line like that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That kind of embodies the whole kind of Margot Robbie, kind of Harley Quinn character. And it's and she's she's very good, once again, and it really ends out to be the star of the film, for me, anyway. And I think whenever she's on screen, it's really, really good. There is a lot of humour. The only thing I would say is don't watch the trailer before you watch the film, because the trailer has all the best jokes in the trailer. And because of the way trailers are edited, they work better in the trailer rather than here, where they can be a little bit flat at times because, you know, they're kind of put in the kind of in the wrong kind of situation. And the other thing that I've I had a problem with it is that, again, it's, it's me again when it comes to innocent people dying and people kind of make jokes about it. The Hitman's Bodyguard, I think I mentioned that two characters die in that and they kept making, making jokes about it, even though they didn't deserve to die and were completely innocent characters. And I saw a review from somebody who mentioned that they saw this in the cinema. And when one of those occasions happens, there was a very uncomfortable kind of um, kind of sense in, in, in the audience. And then they laughed afterwards and they thought, OK, we better laugh to try and get rid of the uncomfortable nature of you know, what we've just seen on screen. And um, and so that has, that does happen a couple of times in the film. And I kind of had problems with it where I was like, well, hang on a second, that's not really funny. But they do make a joke about it. Other than that, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. I thought there's lots to enjoy here. You get to really know and like the characters. There's a weasel in it, a really ugly, horrible weasel. You fall in love with the weasel. There's a talking, there's a talking shark in it, which is voiced by Sylvester Stallone. You get to love that character. You get to like all the characters, in fact. The action sequences are great. The CGI is great. Um, and it is funny at times. And I will recommend it. But again, I'll recommend it for 15 plus because it is very violent. Yeah, be very... mind if you're thinking, I'll watch this with my 10-year-old. Yeah. Do not do that. And particularly for people who would have watched the first one, I think it was only a 13 cert. Uh, but that was pretty violent, but not as violent as this. Yeah, okay. yeah that, right. that had kind of old-fashioned kind of Hollywood violence, do you know what I mean? But yeah. this is a step up. And if you, if you think about the violence in, in Deadpool, uh, then I think you'll get a pretty good idea as to, to the level that we're talking about here. But yes, I do recommend it. I thought it was great fun. Okay, so Mark, the, su- the Suicide Squad out of 10? <laughs> I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. Okay. Now, your second movie is C.I. Ape, and I'm looking at a picture in front of me. It's uh, It's an ape. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, yeah, well, the Suicide Squad was kind of expensive to download, so I thought, look, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get something that's a little bit cheaper that okay. families might enjoy. <laughs> and this this is on uh, Google Play Store for three ninety nine, okay. so it's not going to break the bank. Do you know what I mean? It's only about an hour and 20 minutes long. It feels longer, but I thought, yeah, look, you know, this is a small movie. Uh, hardly anybody knows about it because it, with the big kind of major Hollywood blockbusters, if they spend $100 million on a film, they're spending $100 million 
to advertise it all over the world. You know what I mean? Um, here, obviously, hardly anybody will know about this simply because they don't have the budget. They don't have the budget to be able to advertise this. And so therefore, and if you look at the film, most of the budget has gone on the CGI. It certainly hasn't gone on the actors because the actors are pretty poor. But you know what I mean? If you have no, if, if you can't afford Robert De Niro, you've got to hire Johnny De Niro who works in the shop around the corner. You know what I mean? And so, um, and so there's lots wrong here, but there's lots to kind of enjoy about it as well. And there's a clue in the title. It's an ape that works for the CIA, right? As, as you do. As you do. And straight away, almost in the first scene, the ape is in the film. Well, actually, he doesn't like to be called ape. He doesn't like to be called monkey. He likes to be called a chimpanzee. So we've got to make that quite clear. It's a talking ape, by the way. All right. And we see him for a shot, which kind of surprised me. I thought, well, surely you would, you know, a director would lead up to the, you know, first shot of the monkey. But no, he's there straight away. And he talks, which is kind of weird and odd, but he does. And at no stage in the film do they go back to tell us why. And why should they? Why would they? Because, mm. of course, kids watching this film will go, it's a talking uh, chimpanzee. Yeah, they, they accept it for what it is. And he works for the CIA. And he's in constant communication back at base with a teenage girl who also works for the CIA. That's never discussed either, because so what? It doesn't matter. And so therefore, uh, as usual with these kind of small little films, you know, he, there's a bad guy in it, you know, who wants to take over the world. It's a bad guy that looks like an SS officer you know, from the 40s. Why? Why not? Um, it's a small budget movie where, as I say, oh, most of the money has obviously gone on the CGI, which actually is okay. It hasn't gone on the actors. I mean, the actors are pretty. Do important. we know any? Do we know any of the actors? No, no. you will not know no. any of the actors. Okay. No, I mean they're obviously friends of the director, and the director isn't great either. He obviously can't kind of you know direct comedy, which is a bit of a shame because there's a scene, for example, where the bad guy and his daughter are having dinner on one of these big, huge kind of luncheon tables. No, what would you call it? You know, those big, big, long tables, and he's at one like end. Like a banquet. Like a banquet table, yeah. yeah. And uh, the joke is that they can't hear each other because, you know, they're too far away. And they've got this butler who's got to relay the information. He's got to run up and down all the time. And that's kind of a one kind of joke kind of scene. But unfortunately, they play it out for about five minutes. You know what I mean? And um, and that's a shame. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of talk, which I know the kids won't, uh, you know, particularly enjoy. When the chimp is on screen, though, he's really, really good fun. He very rarely speaks, though. And when he does speak, you kind of go, whoa, because you forget that he talks. <laughs> but uh, he's very much based on the Planet of the Apes, kind of, um, and, you know, CGI uh, apes. And, uh, and he's pretty good, actually. He's pretty good and enjoyable. The young girl in it, I thought she was great as well. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful, there's a two very good action sequences at the start and at the end. There's a sequence, a sequence where he kind of uh, beats up all the bad guys. And as he's walking away, one of the bad guys turns to the camera and says, who is that funky monkey? And so that made me laugh. And so there are some laughs in it, but I think young, this is for young kids. I think parents will have a problem, you know, sitting through this. And, um, but look, it's, for me, it's not a, to me, a bomb is a big budget movie with big budget actors, which just tries something that doesn't work. Here, it knows exactly what it is. It's very, very silly. It reminds me of those Nickelodeon movies that you watched with your kids kind of way back. And um, it sets out to do exactly what it is. It's a low budget, silly movie about a talking um, chimpanzee who works Oh yeah, the chimpanzee, CIA. not ape. And, as and you they say, succeeded the, the, to do it the and chi- do what they wanted to do. The children will love it. If you, if you, need, will, to, if you need them to while away an afternoon, there you go. Okay, mark it out of ten. I'll give it six. Six out of ten. All right, just and that's for the chimpanzee. Listen, Mark, have a lovely week, and we'll chat to you next Friday. Thanks a million. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Can I take a quick look at some of your texts that have been coming in? 
Uh, people take time to messages, uh, messages and we like to do our best to try to get through as many of them as we can. Jim says, just in relation to your listener, who, Tom, who was given out about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and all the money he earns and how do- doctors and nurses don't earn as much money. It's not his fault if that's what his club are prepared to pay him. If I could only play for one week at Manchester United and earned a quarter of a million, it'd do me for life. So don't knock all soccer players earning big money. As fellow Manchester United player Marcus Rashford gave some of his money and forced the English government to make sure that any school-going children was getting a decent meal due to lockdown. But of course, when he missed the penalty for England on the penalty spot at the Euro final, one English politician said he should have spent more time practising penalties instead of sticking his nose into politics. Is that true? Did a politician actually say that? My God. But yeah, uh, Rashford, great, great guy you're picking there, uh, Jim, uh, for sure. Uh, And Christy in uh, Temple Glanton says, Patricia, as we are facing the prospects of electrical blackouts in this country, we should be looking at data centres and assess what benefit they are to us. At the moment, we've been told that the data centres are taking a huge amount of our electricity and electricity that's been produced from all of our wind farms. These centres give very little employment and ethically, they appear to be holding the rest of the country to ransom. They are like the they are like the importation of peat that we have here in abundance, but we're not allowed to extract it. If a halt was put to the development of data centres, we would not have a problem with power supply. I did hear a discussion during the week on the data centres, and you're right, everyone accepts the amount of electricity they take from the grid is huge. But I heard it said because of all of the other digital companies we have, like the Googles and the Facebooks, all of those companies that we have here in this country and the amounts that they employ, it's kind of a payback to them is one of the reasons that we have to have all these data centres. But I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about data centres going uh, forward. And when you're talking about payments to workers. Uh, Patricia, what about the pan- with the pan- pandemic payment the National Ambulance Service they, nev- they never seem to give out about anything and they got out there and done their jobs. They treated the sick and the injured of these people and cared for them throughout the pandemic. Paramedics never seem to be mentioned as frontline workers. Well I take it when we're talking about healthcare workers I straight away would assume the paramedics paramedics are included in uh, that. But yes, I accept they're not individually mentioned, whereas nurses are. Okay, I got to leave it there. My thanks to uh, Bernie Murphy who's been working on the programme all, all week. John Green is in for Nick. John Paul will be back with us on Monday to the Lampetition Messenger. Very good afternoon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.